Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Today again, Jesus teaches through a parable, so I invite you to hear these words of Scripture. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. They made light of it, and they went away, one to his farm, another to his business. The rest seized the slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent out troops, destroyed those murderers, burned their city. He said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets. Invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. The slaves went out into the streets, gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing a wedding robe. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? He was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in a spirit and attitude of prayer? Yes, God, we give thanks for your word today. This ancient, spirit-filled, sometimes strange, always challenging word. May you speak to us today through the words of Scripture. May you speak through my words, perhaps in spite of my words, to these your people here as we've gathered again to know you and to be shaped by you, to have our lives conform to your love and grace. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. No one can deny the convenience or even the flavor of a fast food, burger and fry, soda, ice cream. Uh, as you know, we here at the church are across the road from our, uh, our lighthouse in the community, Dairy Queen. Uh, it means so much to us, uh, all they do to serve us and to care for us. Uh, I have lunch meetings pretty regularly. I have lunch meetings with individuals or, or hospital or district or what have you. But on occasion when there's nothing on my schedule and I need a quick lunch, uh, I walk across the road and grab Dairy Queen. I look forward to those meals so much. Uh, during the pandemic, I had, to, I had to walk across the road and then I would walk through the drive through line. So I think they thought I was pretty nutty standing there between two SUVs uh, trying to get my burger and fries. Of course, now I can go in and get it and bring it back to the office. So we know the convenience of fast food. We and our family, of course, have fast food a few times a month as needed uh, during a busy, a busy season. Uh, but isn't it nice when we have the opportunity uh, to sit down for a big special meal? Uh, you're familiar with this old Norman Rockwell painting, a holiday meal. Perhaps your holidays uh, look like that where everyone is gathered, a turkey or a ham and some vegetables. Usually people have been cooking all day, if not days in advance. There's nothing like that sort of gathering where you can smell uh, when you open the door to the home and you can smell the aroma of the, the well-prepared meal. Uh, if that image doesn't fit you, maybe in, in this season this fits your family a little better. Uh, some of you, this is, your, this is your style a little more. Gosh, I, I love a good home-cooked meal, as you can see. I, I love to have a nice hearty breakfast, the smell of bacon and biscuits and fried eggs. Uh, we love our, our fresh summer vegetables, maybe put them on the grill or in the oven or just have a big salad. 
of course, our holiday gatherings, outside barbecue. Uh, this week and Wednesday night, we had smoked chicken breasts and wings and legs and thighs. They were so good. Mike and John Wyatt spent most of the day out there manning the smoker, and it was an excellent meal. Of course, our holiday gatherings, but not just holidays, like a, a wedding banquet, right, like we read about in Scripture today. You may have had a chance to go to a, a formal wedding where you had to RSVP, you had to choose a, a fish or a chicken or a red meat, and you had to tell how many people were coming, and everything was prepared just nice. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. We don't use that word a whole lot, but it's wonderful when we have the occasion to have a feast, right, a capital F feast. Everything is there. Everyone is ready. It's going to be a big celebration, it's funny, as, a, uh, as an adult, your, uh, your emphasis around the holidays change, right? When you're a kid, you think Christmas is about the presents, right? But at this age, it's all about the food, right? Uh, who's making what? Who's bringing what? What time are we gathering? Uh, who all will be invited? Who all's going to be there? How many places do we need? There's, there's a special time. Our lives are kind of marked by these big meals, these big occasions, uh, these feasts. And that's one of the themes in today's scripture lessons. When we talk about the prophet Isaiah, uh, I'll remind you that Isaiah is, is a really long book. It's like 60 chapters. And so we tend to think that Isaiah reflects three time periods in Israel's uh, history. So we talk about first Isaiah, the early part of Isaiah is like before the exile, before Babylon has destroyed Jerusalem and taken people into exile. Second Isaiah, the middle of Isaiah, is, is typically referred to as during the exile. These are texts that were written while, uh, while the people were captured. And then third Isaiah, or the end of Isaiah, is typically talked about as post-exile. So when the people have returned to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild. And so having some context when you're reading Isaiah is helpful. Today we're reading in Isaiah 25, which would be like the middle of Isaiah. So this is during the exile. So when we say exile, we're talking about Babylon. Babylon was a major military power to the north and to the east of of, uh, Jerusalem and of Israel. They came and they took over Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. And then famously, they took some of the most important people, the most gifted people, the artisans, they took them back to Babylon and made them into slaves. Now, we know the exile was kind of a messy thing. I mean, the start date and the end date are a little blurry. How many people were exiled versus how many people stayed? We don't know exactly. There was no census done. But, but what we do know is that the community was destroyed. The place of worship was destroyed. The economy was destroyed. People's homes were destroyed. So it's a really traumatic event. Uh, the most dramatic event in the history of Israel, one where they begin to question, uh, where is God at work in this moment? And so today we read from Isaiah 25. You heard, uh, you heard Sophie just, just read it, and there's kind of a few themes that come out. I want to repeat some of the key phrases to you. Uh, the beginning of the reading, you can see there in your bulletin, strong peoples will glorify you, ruthless nations fear you, for you have been a refuge to the poor, a refuge to the needy, shelter from the rainstorm, shade from the heat. When the blast of the ruthless was like a winter rainstorm, right? So you hear in those first few verses, Isaiah as a prophet is reminding the people, remember what God has done for us, right? Remember how God has cared for us and protected us. Remember how God has been a refuge. And when, when Isaiah and when the prophets say remember, they mean remember like all the way back to the Exodus, right? Remember how God took us out of slavery and brought us into this new land. Remember how God has protected us from other peoples, right? So the beginning of this reading from Isaiah is to remember, to remember God's strength, to remember God's care, God's providence, and God's love. And then verse 6, on this mountain, presumably Mount Zion, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, well-aged wines strained clear. So I just want you to, to kind of 
try to visualize what's going on here, right? The community of, of, of Israel, the, the, the temple in Jerusalem, have been destroyed. Uh, there's nothing left but rubble and chaos. They've experienced violence and loss. I mean, Babylon is known not just in the biblical account, but in other historical accounts for its nasty military tactics. And so Isaiah, standing in the midst of such uh, desecration, says, one day, on this spot, God will make a feast for all people. And it will be a a wonderful feast with wine and aged wines and, and marrows and meats, and all people will gather here. Now you can just imagine sort of the lunacy of what Isaiah is saying compared to the moment in which he stands, right? That despite all this loss and pain, despite everything we've been through, one day God will bring peace and harmony and there will be a long table for all people to gather together. And then the image continues. Not only will the people gather for a meal, God will destroy on this mountain the shroud cast over all the peoples, the shroud spread over the nations, and he will swallow up death forever. He will wipe away the tears from all faces, take away death from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. I want you to kind of follow Isaiah and his imagery. Not only are the people going to gather for a feast, right? Not only are the people from all the nations going to gather at a long table for for a holy feast, but God himself is going to eat death. God himself is going to swallow up death forever. Right? Now, Christians, of course, can't help but read this as an allusion to Christ and his, his crucifixion and his resurrection. Jesus on the cross takes on death. Jesus in the resurrection defeats death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? So even in exile, even in the prophet Isaiah, we have this wonderful vision where one day God will defeat death. Be No more tears, no more crying, no more dying. So if all that's true, Isaiah concludes in verse 9, it will be said that we have waited on him so that he might save us. For this is the Lord for whom we have waited. We will rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So Isaiah is standing in the middle of turmoil and chaos and violence and loss. And he's telling the people, remember who God is and what God has done. Look backward. And he's telling them, look forward. One day we're going to gather all the people, all the nations at a future feast. We're all going to be together. Not only are we going to be together, but God is going to swallow up death and death will be no more. And therefore, we ought to practice patience. We've got to wait. We will be the people who waited on the Lord. It will be said about us, they waited on the Lord so that they might rejoice and celebrate in his salvation. It's a really powerful text, right? I mean, we can appreciate just the, the courage that Isaiah has to cast this vision of hope despite the terrible situation that he and the people of Israel find themselves in. Right? Now, probably as I was reading and as I was preaching, you couldn't help but, but catch sort of the irony that here we have in the Old Testament Isaiah casting a vision for one day a future peace and and hope and and a meal shared with all people uh, compared to uh, the events even uh, in Israel this week. Um, I'm not an expert on the Middle East or on Israel or contemporary Israel relations with Palestine. I know those things are complicated. Many of you have been following that news and those stories longer uh, than I have. Uh, But we know, of course, that there were attacks by Hamas that were uh, dreadful and... um, 
just, just inhumane, unimaginable, terrible events. Some of you have seen some of the pictures and videos. At the same time, we know there's now military action on, on behalf of Israel. And of course, we lament that there are civilians uh, at, all, at all edges, Palestinian civilians, Israeli civilians, innocent people who are losing their lives. And we know from our own experience here in this country that uh, going to war with, with terrorism is, is, a, is a long and complicated and inefficient and, and painful venture. And that seems to be some of what's going on there today. In some ways, what's happening, of course, in the Middle East, it, it's kind of like another chapter of a long story, right? That we know for, for centuries and for millennia, back through the Old Testament, back through Isaiah and others, uh, that there have been people who have, have stood up and said... Uh, despite this current situation, despite the losses, despite the pain, and despite the violence, we're going to hold on. I mean, we're going to white-knuckle. We're going to hold on to the hope that this is not what God wants. This is not what God wants for the people of Israel. This is not what God wants for Israel's neighbors. This is not what God wants for humanity. And that in the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus said in this parable, in God's eyes, one day we will all be gathered together. Of one big feast, one big family meal. And when God swallows up death, there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more crying, and no more dying. And so we, of course, are many thousands of miles away, but we can appreciate, we can kind of understand the position that Isaiah is in, in the midst of exile and war, to stand up and say, this is not, this is not the future God wants for us or for other people. And we're going to live into, we're going to commit our hearts to God's peace and God's hope. Um, I don't know a whole lot of um, poetry. It would be sort of, it would be false for me to stand up here and quote poems to you as if though I know a whole lot of poetry. But I know a few. I remember them that I was taught in school and they often return to my mind at at some important moments. This one is a long poem, Ode to Intimations on Immortality from Recollections of Early Childhood. What a title, right? Uh, Williams Wordsworth. It's a really long poem. There's no way I could read it all to you. But, but in this poem, he's reflecting on going from a child uh, to an adolescent to an adult and to the lessons you learn along the way. And I love this particular stanza. It has some echoes of Isaiah for me. I thought I might share it with you this morning. What though the radiance which was once so bright be now forever taken from my sight? Though nothing can bring back the hour or the splendor in the grass or the glory in the flower, We will grieve not, rather find strength in what remains behind and the primal sympathy which having been must ever be in the soothing thoughts that spring out of human suffering, in the faith that looks through death, in the years that bring the philosophic mind. That just sort of gives me tingles every time I read it or when I read it out loud, particularly those last few lines. The soothing thoughts that spring out of human suffering in the faith that looks through death. That's some of what Isaiah is doing in Isaiah 25, right? The thoughts that spring out of suffering and the faith that looks through death. Isaiah is looking through this catastrophe, looking through this this terrible moment, and yet committing himself and committing the people of God to, to faith and to hope and to a bright future. That one day we'll all be together at a big feast with all people, with no more tears, no more crying, and no more death. 
I was reading in my commentaries this week, and one of the authors I came across said that the parable of the wedding banquet should be on the Mount Rushmore of Jesus' worst parables, right? Uh, And you heard it just a minute ago as I was reading it. What a strange and bizarre story. I don't think I've ever preached on it for just that reason, right? It's just just nutty, right? All the little things that are going on here. Uh, Today we're reading the Matthew version, but the Luke version is a little more tame, so you might prefer that one if you get a chance to look at it. You'll notice, kind of like I did last week in the sermon, trying to connect Matthew and Isaiah, right? That's sort of what's going on today. You'll notice the parallels, right? In Isaiah, there's a vision for a banquet, a big feast for all people. And then Matthew, Jesus tells a parable about a big banquet, a feast for all people, right? Though the conditions are a little bit different. In this case, in Isaiah, I mean, I'm sorry, in Jesus' parable in Matthew, uh, a king is preparing a banquet for his son, Right, And so you can already see some of the pieces coming together, some of the images coming together. So the king tells his servants to go out in the community and invite everyone. Tell them we're ready. The wedding banquet is ready. We've got the oxen, the fatted calves. We've got the meal. We've got it all. Tell them to come. And so when the slaves go out and invite other people to come to the the wedding banquet, they find out not everyone's interested. Some people are too busy. They have other things going on. They have to go check on their, their farm or their business. They're not able to make it. Now, this is a parable. There's a lot of hyperbole here. It's not meant to be read literally, right? Uh, So in this case, the king is so angry. He sends out his troops to attack those people who won't come to the wedding banquet. And then he tries again. He tells his servants, you go out and you find everyone. You find anyone. And specifically, it says, even if they're good or bad, you find some people and get them here to this banquet. I hear echoes of Luke 15, the lost son, the lost sheep, the lost coin, right? God's sort of relentless searching out and inviting and including people no matter uh, where they come from or what they're like. Go and find the people and bring them to this meal. So they do. They get the wedding banquet full. All the chairs are full. Everyone's there. And then the king comes in and, and he sees that someone's not dressed appropriately. And so he says, what are you doing here? You guys tie this guy up and throw him out into the outer darkness. What a bizarre story. The king has worked so hard to get people to come to the banquet, and then when they get there, they they find out that this one gentleman is not dressed correctly, and so he gets removed altogether. This parable, of course, is partly about just time and priorities and who's able to be there. The king invites everyone to attend a banquet for his son. We can see that if the king is God the Father, Jesus Christ is his son, the servants are sent out. Maybe these are the Old Testament prophets or New Testament preachers and teachers. They go out to invite everyone in, but not everyone can make it. Some stay back. When I read these um, stories about the meals in the New Testament, of course, we remember that Jesus was always eating with people. He was eating with sinners and prostitutes, with tax collectors. Jesus, of course, had a meal with his disciples to sort of finalize his ministry and to prepare them for life after his presence with them. It's not an accident that we eat a lot here at church. I hope you know that. Of course, we have communion on the first Sunday of the month, but we have a meal every Wednesday night. Uh, we're going to have brunch here in just a moment. We have other meals and gatherings here at the church pretty regularly. That's, that's in the spirit of the scriptures, right? That as often as possible, we should gather together for a little, a little banquet in honor of the Son and share in fellowship with one another. Uh, you may not know, but we've had, um, we've had record crowds at the Whithouse. We had big crowds during the pandemic when people needed stuff to eat, but, but that really hasn't slowed down. Of course, that has to do with the economy and the cost of groceries, but we have, we have record crowds every Tuesday and Friday, sometimes feeding as many as 50 and 60 families uh, at one session. Uh, oftentimes when I leave the church on Tuesday, uh, the Tuesday folks are just getting here, and we will have cars 
uh, doubled back across the parking lot a couple of lines deep, uh, which, which is both really um, troubling to think about the people in our community that need food. And remember, they can only come to the Woodhouse once a month, so these aren't the same people over and over again. It's different crowds every week. But it's also really inspiring to think that people come to our church and expect to be fed, whether it's on Sunday morning or Wednesday evening or Tuesday afternoon or Friday morning. Kind of reminds me a little bit of this banquet, like just come to church and, and you're going to find something to eat, right? If you come to church, you're going to find something to eat some way, somehow. All are welcome here. Uh, you may know uh, this, this picture of this lady, uh, Carrie uh, Massing. I felt like I needed to say a little bit something about her at church, and, and today seemed like a good, a good opportunity to do so. Uh, Carrie was around the Woodhouse a lot. She was a Woodhouse regular and really was a downtown regular. If you had a chance to meet Carrie, uh, you would notice very quickly that she had some mental health challenges as well as some, some physical health challenges. She had had a stroke. Uh, she couldn't communicate very well. Um, she, she may or may not have understood what you were saying, depending on what sort of uh, mood she was in that day. Um, but she had some, some challenges that were so deep, it made it hard for her to receive the sort of help she needed. And so Carrie has been around Paragold for many years. Many of you have worked alongside of her and tried to help her. The hospital has tried to help her. Social workers have, have helped get her into different programs. All of our police officers, our firemen, everyone in downtown Paragold, every business, every church has had some interaction uh, with Carrie. She died two weeks ago. Her body was, was found. Um, don't know exactly how she died. Uh, but it really upset me. It bothers me still. Uh, just the conditions she lived in um, and the challenges she faced. What's sort of uh, neat about her story, though, is despite all the things she didn't understand about the world, one thing she did understand uh, was that she could always come to church. In fact, she came to church so much that we didn't know what to do with her. Um, she would come to the Whithouse more than she should. Uh, she was sometimes difficult when she was there, uh, demanding things that we couldn't provide her with. She was here at church sometimes on Sunday mornings. would make me nervous because you never knew what she was going to say or do. Uh, she might show up on Wednesday nights. She came through the week a lot, always asking for food or water. Uh, during the heat of the summer, uh, she slept at church uh, a lot. Uh, she slept in the Welcome Center sometimes sitting straight up in one of those chairs. <laughs> and some days she just made a bed in the floor at the Welcome Center, and she would just sleep uh, all day there. That's, that's part of what the parable is about, right? The banquet is always uh, open, and it's always an invitation. And, and some people are too busy, and they don't have time. And then sometimes the most unlikely and the least expected people show up, and they just keep showing up because they know that God's, uh, God's banquet is open to all. The other part of the story, of course, has to do with the people who show up wearing the wrong clothes. And that part is most concerning. And again, I would remind you that it's a parable and it's hyperbole. When we read that text about wearing the wrong robe, it would be helpful to us to refer to some other New Testament text that might highlight how we think about those, those verses. In the New Testament, the wedding banquet is often a, a, a metaphor for Christ and the church. There's a, a wedding, a holy wedding. Wearing a new robe is often the language used around baptism or a transformed life. Particularly here, look at Romans 13. Let us lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably, not in drunkenness, debauchery, licentiousness, quarreling, jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3. As God's holy ones, holy beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bear with one another. 
anyone has a complaint, forgive one another, for the Lord has forgiven you. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So when the king arrives to the banquet and he finds someone wearing their old clothes, what Jesus is telling us is that part of coming to God's banquet is being changed, is being transformed. And the metaphor here is, is taking off the old robe, the old jacket, the old clothing, and putting on the new. And so as Jesus tells this story about the king and all who are invited, he's reminding his hearers and he's reminding us, all are invited, all are welcome. Come to this table, feast with God, party with Jesus, come and be transformed. If we're going to feast at Isaiah's heavenly banquet, eternal banquet with all people, if we're going to party with Jesus with all the people from the neighborhood, then Jesus says we must lay aside our old clothes. Anger and frustration and jealousy and judgment, drunkenness and debauchery and licentiousness and quarreling, there is no room for that sort of behavior here at God's table. There are some people who want to come to the party but don't necessarily want to be changed. In fact, we might say about many of us, we've, we've sort of dipped our toe in church or in a life of faith, but we have resisted spiritual transformation. So to party with God, to party with Jesus, means that we get new clothes. And the new clothes are compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and of course, love. Hear real clearly today that across the scriptures, from the beginning with Abram and Sarah, through the Old Testament, the prophets like Isaiah, through Jesus' meals with prostitute sinners and tax collectors and his disciples, all the way unto Revelation and its vision for a new heaven and a new earth, God's hope and God's dream, God's good future, is all people gathered together at God's holy banquet. That is the testimony across Scripture, that one day God will gather up all people with no more crying, no more tears, no more dying, and we will dine together in peace and harmony. But Jesus says not everyone will have time. Some people find other things to do. And not everyone wants to be changed. And so I hope you hear today that invitation to live into God's good future, to make time to dine with God, to feast at his holy banquet, and to prepare yourself to be changed by the Lord, to put on new robes each and every day for the sake of the glory of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Will you join me in prayer? God, we give thanks that you have seen fit to invite us to your holy meal. To the holy meals gathered here at church, including communion, Wednesday evening, other opportunities to be in fellowship with one another. May God, each time we gather at the table, we have a vision for the hope for your future. Everyone, all peoples gathered. God, give us the courage to accept the invitation. Give us the wisdom. Make us available to be changed by the power of your spirit. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.